Good morning, and welcome to Grace Church Online. I'll be honest, I really don't like the word online. I don't like the words remotely or distance. I really miss being together with all of my brothers and sisters at Grace Church, and I'm very much praying that soon, very soon, we will be able to truly come back together as a church. Now, I should tell you up front that my online message is very simple this morning. I'm not drilling too deep, but it's a message that God has laid on my heart for today, for now. And the title of my message is, Where is Our Hope? If I was to ask you, what is the worst, most awful word in the English language? A word that you never want to hear. A word that causes you to, to cringe. In our current reality, many of you might immediately think of the word, of course, pandemic. Hate that word. Virus. But pre-COVID-19, perhaps you might have said, lonely or hungry, or maybe bankrupt. But for me, the worst word, the word that makes me cringe the most is hopeless, hopeless. Some of you will distinctly remember June 15, 2011. It was game seven, Canucks and the Bruins. After being a huge Canucks fan for 40 years, I was sure that this was the night. It's going to happen. It was home ice. I thought we had the better team. This was the night. But first period, Boston scored twice. Second period, Boston scored again. It was 3-0. And then right around the 17-minute mark of the third period, Boston scored again. And I realized at that moment, it is hopeless. And I distinctly remember that the sadness, the pain, it is done, it is over, it's hopeless. In my life, I have known people who have worked 12-hour days, six days a week to build their business. And then the accountant says, your liabilities are too great. Your debt is too high. Your sales are too low. It is hopeless. And that is so incredibly painful. Even worse, when a doctor says, it's hopeless. That's a terrible feeling. I've been there personally. Many of you have heard my story. May of 2018, just over two years ago, Tuesday afternoon, Brenda and I were standing on a street in New Westminster just outside of Royal Columbian Hospital, and we were weeping because a specialist had just told me, Kevin, you have a tumor in your spine like a tennis ball. It's likely metastasized. It's so large, it's burst out of your spine, and it's taken out a, a chunk of your L4 vertebrae. And basically, just go home. There's nothing I can do. He didn't actually use the word hopeless, but that was what was expressed to us. That is what we heard. And I can tell you the, the grief, the anguish, the pain that comes from that word. 
In contrast, if you just take the last four letters off of hopeless, you get what I think is the greatest word in the English language, hope. Hope brings purpose, joy, renewal, hope. Just to kind of complete my story, it was just a few days later in terrible pain, I found myself in the ER in, in Abbotsford and a brilliant, caring neurosurgeon sat at my bedside and he said, you know, based on the early tests, we think you have a rare form of cancer, a singular source cancer that's treatable. And he said, you're back, you're broken back. We have a plan to, to handle that. And you know, I, I, I don't know why I did this, but the first question I asked was, doctor, am I gonna play golf again? And he said, I think so. And I had hope. Hope turned me around. It kept me going through some very, very dark hours. It gave me new purpose. It gave me a new focus. It gave me a new joy. Hope. What a great thing is hope. And our question this morning, where is your hope? Where is our hope? We're going to read in 1 Peter Two verses that I think may be my favorite verses in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And I trust that God will bless these two great verses this morning. Now before we begin our look at this great passage, I want to clear up a potential source of confusion. The word hope is used somewhat differently today than it was in the New Testament. Today, we often use hope something like this. Do you think the Vancouver Canucks are going to win the Stanley Cup this year? I hope so. I, I think they might. I hope so. Do, do you think that maybe after church today, there'll be peach pie? Fresh, fresh peach pie waiting for us. Oh, I hope so. You see, we use the expression of a desired but uncertain future event. May happen. We really hope it does, but it might not. That is not the New Testament, at least the general New Testament meaning of the word. Vines in defining the word hope, he simply says it is a confident expectation. Another scholar, and I like this, defines hope, biblical hope, as full assurance, strong confidence in what God has promised in the future. And let me give you a few examples of what I mean by biblical hope and the contrast to the way we sometimes use the word today. Titus 1-2, faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, 
promised before the beginning of time. If you were to ask me, Kevin, is eternal life real? I wouldn't say, I I hope so. Maybe yes, maybe no. I wish that it's the case. That is not my response. Instead, I would say, it is my hope. It is my confident expectation. I have strong confidence in eternal life. Why? Because God, who doesn't lie, promised it. Example number two, Titus 2.13. While we wait for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were to ask me about the coming of our Lord Jesus, I wouldn't say, I hope it's going to happen. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I desire it's going to happen. No, that would not be my response. I would say, it is my hope. I have 100% confidence, full assurance. I am looking forward with expectation to his coming because Jesus promised it. He said, I will come again. One more example. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. One of God's titles is God of hope. Is our God a God of uncertainty? When he says something, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. We hope it does. No, our God is a God we can trust in fully. He is a God of hope. So as we proceed through our message, I I trust there's no confusion between the meaning that we often give the word today, we hope so, and the biblical meaning, a strong, confident expectation based on God's promises. So with that understanding of hope, Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now I believe those words, to be fully understood, must be seen in the context of Peter's story. You see, words have greater meaning, greater impact, depending on who says them. If I was to tell you how horrible the Great Depression was, how horrible the 1930s were, it it might be interesting, but it would be third hand. It would be hearsay because I wasn't there. I didn't actually experience it. But if one of our older friends here in Grace Church said, you know, I was a child in the depression. Let me tell you firsthand what it was really like. That would have so much more meaning, so much more impact. You know, I think 60 years from now, some of you will be able to tell people, I was there in the great pandemic of 2020. I had to isolate in my basement the whole month of March and April that year. And you'll be able to tell firsthand what it was really like. And it'll have so much more meaning for people that hear you. And this is why I'd like to take five minutes or so and tell you Peter's story. To understand why these words 
that Peter gives us here have so much incredible meaning. Now, we don't know too much about Peter's early life, except that he lived in a country that had been conquered by the Romans. And like other Israelites, no doubt Peter's dream was a coming Messiah who would restore the kingdom of Israel. It seems like Peter's life was pretty ordinary, living as a fisherman. But then comes Mark chapter 1, and an event that dramatically alters Peter's life. Jesus sees him fishing in the Sea of Galilee and says these very simple words, come, follow me. We don't know exactly what went on in Peter's mind at that moment. Perhaps immediately Peter thought, maybe this man, Jesus, is the hope for my life. He is the hope for Israel. I will follow him. Over the next three years, Peter saw amazing things. He watched Jesus heal lepers, give sight to the blind, raise Lazarus from the dead. Confirmation, yes, this man is my hope. As he listened to Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount, as he heard him speak the parables, words of great wisdom, Peter would have said, yes, yes, this man is my hope. He is the hope for all Israel. But then came that terrible night when along with James and John, Peter had gone to the garden with Jesus to pray. And when Jesus had finished his agonizing prayer, perhaps in the early hours of the Friday morning, Judas, someone of course who Peter knew well, a fellow disciple, he comes with the temple guards and the soldiers and Judas identifies Jesus with that kiss. Peter, he immediately wants to fight. He wants to fight for his hope, but Jesus stops him. And Peter would watch as Jesus was bound, probably in the custom of that time, like an animal, a rope would be put around Jesus' neck, and he would be dragged out of the garden. And as Peter stood and as he watched Jesus now stumbling down the road with a rope around his neck, I'm sure that for Peter, he was terrified. He was deeply troubled. This is not the plan. This man is my hope. This man is the hope for Israel. And now he's being led down the road like, like an animal. And Peter would wonder, what on earth is, is happening? Peter was there as the high priest. They, they mocked Jesus as they spat on him, as they struck him with their fists. And I'm sure for Peter, there was shock. He could not believe it. This was a terribly dark day. What was happening some point, the servant girl comes to Peter. She says, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter, out of fear, maybe in his deep stress, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Later, another woman points him, him out and says, in the courtyard, this man was with Jesus. And now Peter sinks even a little lower. He even goes further, and he lies. He says, I, I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus and then it happens a third time. People said, come on, surely you're one of Jesus' disciples. Your accent gives you away. And Peter goes even lower. And he lies. And he even curses, I don't know the man. 
Then the rooster began to crow as Jesus told him what happened. And Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. Now as you're watching, I'd like you just to kind of take a picture in your mind of this scene. Here's, here's Peter and he's weeping. He's in incredibly deep anguish for what he has done, that he has lied, that he's cursed, that he's denied Jesus. But I, but I think there's more than that. I think at that moment, he's broken because his hope seems to be disappearing. His hope for his life, his hope for the nation is slipping away. This is not the plan that Peter had thought would take place. And then, of course, for Peter, it gets even worse. Jesus is taken before Pilate. Pilate sends Jesus to be scourged, that awful scourging. And then eventually, Jesus is taken out to Skull Hill, to Calvary. And there at the command of the Roman centurion, Jesus would be knocked to the ground and a soldier with a hammer of some type would drive those jagged nails through his hands and through his feet. Jesus would begin those awful hours on, on the cross until ultimately he would cry, it is finished, and he died. And when Peter saw or at least heard that Jesus was dead, what did he think? I can only imagine the anguish and the pain. My hope is dead. The man I had trusted as my Messiah is dead. Hope is gone. It is now hopeless. Oh, but I'm so thankful. Peter's story does not end there. There came that morning, the Sunday morning, the first Easter, when Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salome, they come early in the morning. They come with spices to anoint the body. To their surprise, they find the stone is rolled away. The seal is broken. And the angel speaks and says the most incredible thing. He is risen. Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. And the women go and they tell the apostles. Luke 24, the apostles didn't believe at first. They thought what the women were saying was nonsense. But Peter ran to the tomb and he saw the grave clothes lying there. And he went away, we're told, wondering what is happening. And then came a great moment for Peter. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter. We're not told the details we're not told about that first appearance to Peter. It's hard to imagine what that moment must have been like when Peter saw a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who was my hope. The one who was crucified. The one that I denied. He's not dead. He's alive. And for Peter, there would have been an incredible joy and hope came to Peter again. Hope was restored. Now I'd like you to fast forward with me less than two months later. Here it is Pentecost and Peter stands to preach. He is preaching to a great crowd in Jerusalem and with his words, the city we're told is, is shaken, Acts 2.41 and those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized about 3,000. 
Just take a picture. Thousands of people spread out, and this one man stands to preach with incredible power, so much that an entire city is shaken, and thousands come to know Jesus as their Savior. Take that picture, too. Now, how how is it possible? Think back to that first picture I wanted you to take. A man crushed and broken with no hope. And now a man preaching with great power, one of the greatest sermons that has ever been given. How is it possible that Peter went from hopeless to hope? And the answer, he saw a resurrected Jesus. Peter understood that without a resurrection, without a Savior who's alive, it is hopeless. But with a Savior who is alive, a Savior who is there to have relationship with us every day, there is new life, there is new joy, there is new power, there is new hope. Friends, here at Grace, as we go through a dark time, when our church can't even really come together as we love. What is our hope? Friends, it is not a vaccine. Our hope is not in an election. Our hope is not a new government program. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is in a resurrected Lord Jesus, a Savior who is alive. That is our hope. Now in verse four, Peter describes how incredible is the hope that comes through Jesus. Peter writes, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. It's a long time ago now. It was May the 4th of 1975, it was a Sunday night. I had attended a Sunday night special gospel service as a 15-year-old teenager. It was hockey season. It was the playoffs with my favorite team then, the Winnipeg Jets. And I sat in that church service and didn't listen to a word. All I was thinking about was hockey. But I went home that night and I could not sleep. And I was just struck with a question. Kevin, you've grown up in a Christian family, in a Christian home. You're almost turning 16. You're not a Christian. When are you going to become a Christian? And maybe for the first time in my life, I realized it was possible I might never become a Christian. I was so concerned by that, I I actually woke my father up. And I said, I want to go talk to the evangelist who preached in the special gospel service tonight. My dad says, tonight? And I said, yes. And so my father called the evangelist, got him up, and he was very gracious. He said, yes, I'll talk to you tonight. And so we drove uh, to the home where the evangelist was. And that night, about 20 minutes past midnight, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And in accordance with 1 Peter 1, 4, at that moment... I was given an inheritance by God. An inheritance that comes from being part of God's family, from being a child of God, an inheritance reserved in heaven just for me. That inheritance 
that place in heaven that's reserved for me is never going to perish. It's never going to spoil. It's never going to fade. And this is my hope. I have a future ahead with Jesus that's amazing beyond anything I could ever imagine. Peter sums it up like this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, if life was just what we have here, I'd be afraid. Right now, I think I might even be a little depressed. But we have a future ahead with a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ that's amazing. We have a future ahead, an inheritance in heaven that will never fade. Because Jesus is risen, we can look forward with confident expectation. We can look forward with hope to that day when we will enjoy our inheritance, a future with Christ in a place where righteousness is going to prevail, where there is no virus, where there is no pandemic, where there is no cancer, where there is no sickness at all, where there is no war, no terrorism, there are no bombs, no pain, no sorrow, no sadness. What an amazing future we have in Christ. That is our hope that we have with our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to finish by coming back to verse 3. And I want to focus on the word living. You might have noticed that the verse doesn't just refer to hope. It refers to a living hope. Now there is debate over the meaning of the word living here in verse 3. Most scholars would suggest that the meaning here is that the hope is undying. The hope is eternal because Jesus is alive. The hope is alive and can never be extinguished. And I think that's probably correct. But as I was studying this passage, I ran into another interpretation that I really liked. Even if it's not the correct interpretation, I think it's a great application for us this morning. This scholar, in referring to the word living, he said it is a life that is characterized by the hope. Or to put it another way, we should be living our hope. This is my prayer for us today. That we as Christians that we would live our hope, that our lives would be characterized by hope. People around us today need hope more than ever. And we have it. We have hope in Jesus. Let's this week live out our hope. Let others see our hope. Thank you so much, Grace Church.